Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series. We're continuing along in our study from 2 Peter, and we are hopefully finishing chapter 2 tonight in 2 Peter. If you are following along in the notes that we have made available, uh, we are on page 34. And all of these Bible studies, both the notes and the recordings of previous studies, can be found at our website. That's new-life-ministries.org, and just follow the uh, menus there for the audio messages. Uh, hopefully we'll finish chapter 2 tonight, and we want to move right along into chapter 3, the final chapter of Second Peter, next time. Okay, the longest portion of Second Peter is indeed the second chapter, and as we have been seeing for a number of sessions now, Peter had a lot to say in this second chapter, which is entirely devoted to the topic of false teachers and false prophets in the church in these last days. And we've been seeing in a number of scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, the Apostle Jude, they all confirmed this same message that there would be many, not just a few, many false prophets, many false teachers in the church, not outside of it, in the church in these last days. And I think you and I need to take a pause and kind of look around us and say, where are they? They have to be around us. They have to be here. Where are they? And what we want to really try to do tonight is to equip ourselves as believers to understand how to recognize these false leaders and false teachers. It's not so much if as when we're going to come in contact with them. And we're going to go through a number of things tonight that will help us to recognize. Jesus said, by their fruits you will recognize them. So we need to, as mature Christians, be trained and equipped so that we can indeed discern these things and recognize uh, false teachers, leaders, apostles, etc., and to be able to make a clear distinction between that which is true and that which is false. I want to kind of do a summary uh, at this point of all the things that we've seen in Second Peter chapter 2 concerning false leaders. And again, I'm basing this on the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 from verse 15 all the way to verse 23. We're not going to read that whole portion again. But he said, there will be false prophets. They will come to you like sheep. They'll come in sheep's clothing, but they're actually ravening wolves inwardly. But he made a very clear statement. By their fruits, you will recognize them. And I, I don't want to keep repeating this too many times, but I think it 
it needs to be stressed he did not say by their gifts by their charisma by their marvelous ministry you'll recognize them he said by their fruits you'll recognize them and there is a definite distinction between gifts and fruit made in the New Testament the gifts of the Spirit which are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 are quite different from the fruits of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 if you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 it's all about character and behavior it has nothing to do with ministerial gifting or charismatic personality or ability and this is where we often get into problems somebody with uh, a dazzling gift and a charismatic personality maybe they're a great singer and they they just have a charming personality uh, everybody just sort of falls for them and they're in a very vulnerable condition at that point to be misled and deceived unless they can discern beyond those gifts talents and charisma and what we've been seeing throughout second Peter 2 is Peter talking about the fruit the lifestyle the actual behavior of these false leaders he doesn't really negate the fact that maybe there were great preachers they prophesied they had gifts etc etc what he does stress is the kind of lives that they were living and the character that was quite evident in their lives when you looked more closely at them and I want to make a list here of about 12 different fruits that Peter mentions uh, that are characteristic of these false teachers and false leaders they may or may not manifest all 12 of them but quite often you'll see more than a couple of these things manifested in the lifestyle of a false teacher a false prophet or a false leader and again this will be sort of a summary of a number of things that we've talked about over these past few weeks number one we saw and I'm deliberately starting off with this one at the top of the list false teachers false prophets and false leaders are often characterized by a greed for money they're greedy for money and secondly and these go hand in hand because their motivation is money they use their gifts their talent their personality their charisma to exploit unsuspecting people often new believers <clears throat> people who may not yet be mature in the Lord not well grounded in the scriptures they exploit those weaker unsuspecting people to their own ends which again is primarily a motivation for money so they're greedy for money they exploit other people 
to their own benefit. Number three, part of that exploitation often involves lying, exaggerations, and making up stories. Peter said very clearly they will make up stories, they'll fabricate stories to mislead people. And often with tear-jerking testimonies of the marvelous things that their ministry is doing, when we really find out what's going on, it's a total sham. And I'm not saying that's true about every minister, but we need to be careful. They make up stories, they, they even give false testimonies of so-called miracles that are happening in their ministry that haven't happened in any way, shape, or form. And sadly, over the years, some real exaggerated cases of charlatans have been exposed, where I remember one case clearly some years ago where there was this great miracle worker who would get words of knowledge about people in the crowd and tell them your uncle uh, is being healed right now of that stomach cancer and all this stuff. Well, what was actually going on is he had a little earpiece and someone backstage was reading to him information that had been gained from prayer requests that people in the crowd had submitted before the meeting. And, you know, those things are very sad because we don't need that. There's a real gift of the word of knowledge. There's a real gift of the word of wisdom. We don't need to fake things and and make up stories. But that is one of the things that these false leaders do as part of their plot to deceive and exploit people, especially with the intent of getting them to offer money to them. Fourthly, this is another very important hallmark of most false teachers, false leaders. They are proud, arrogant, and boastful. And right along with that, point number five, they are rebellious and they despise authority. We saw that they're like wandering stars. They're not under any authority. They despise true leaders. They despise any kind of God-ordained authority, particularly because they fear that that authority may try to correct them or even expose the things that are going on in their lives. So they're proud and they despise authority. The sixth point I have listed here is, and this goes along with their disrespect and their actual despising of others who are in authority, they are slanderers, grumblers, fault finders, and blasphemers. Um, they, they cannot be content without slandering other leaders, grumbling, finding fault with other leaders, and some, in some cases even blaspheming, we saw. Both Peter and Jude mentioned about these false leaders. Point number seven is another very important one. 
uh, and we saw quite a bit in Second Peter 2 on this one, they are often uh, very carnal, very selfish, very hedonistic, meaning, meaning they're given to seeking after pleasure. Their, their lives are often um, very much carnal in nature, uh, very much about what can I do to find pleasure for my own flesh. And um, that will connect with another, another point we have a little further down in the list. That often ties directly in with gross sexual sin and perversion as well. Point number eight, they are experts at flattery. They often secretly flatter and then entice and seduce people into sin. They're not just teaching them a little bit of a different interpretation of a verse of Scripture. Their intent is to lead, seduce unsuspecting people into sin. And they often do that by way of showing it's okay to do X, Y, or Z. The grace of God allows us that freedom now to commit this kind of a sin or that kind of a sin. Point number nine. We saw Peter mentioning that although they talk about freedom, they themselves are slaves of depravity. They're actual slaves of many, many vices and, and sins and depravity. Point number 10, and this is what I alluded to a little earlier, their lifestyle is often one of shameful, immoral conduct, often uh, living in overt fornication, homosexuality, immorality, other kinds of uh, perverse types of sin. Shameful and immoral. Point number 11, and we spent a lot of time on this last time, um, many times in Second Peter, Peter makes reference to the fact that these false leaders started out in the church. They started out in the faith, but they have left the faith. They're backsliders. They were once saved and enjoying the benefits of that salvation, but they departed from the faith. They backslid. And finally, point number 12, uh, Peter refers to them as restless, wandering stars. And my experience is this is often uh, even a physical, geographical kind of a thing where they move around from city to city they move around from church to church they're they're never in one place for very long and there are a couple of reasons for that number one they can't submit to the local authority and they eventually find fault with the pastor and the other leaders and they they leave that church and they go to another one they also have to keep on the move to keep from getting caught. And very often their sins are eventually uncovered and manifested. And by that time, they've moved on to another city or another church. 
and they've tried to cover their tracks. And like a wandering star, they just move from place to place to place. I call them Christian grasshoppers. They can't really be united and joined to any local congregation. They're just always moving from place to place, and there's always a reason. They didn't like the pastor, they didn't like the singing, they didn't like the air conditioning, finding fault, grumbling, despising the authority, and then moving on to another place where the whole process of seduction and deception starts all over again. That's a brief summary of all the things we've seen in Second Peter 2 concerning these false leaders. And remember, Jesus said, by their fruits you will be able to recognize them. So these are things we need to be on the lookout for. Greed for money, exploiting other people, lying, exaggerating, making up false testimonies and elaborate stories, proud, despising authority, always finding fault, grumbling, slandering other people, living a very carnal, uh, pleasure-seeking kind of a life, flattering, secretly operating. That's a very important MO of the false leader. They sneak in and they, they try to operate under the radar of the church leadership. Meanwhile, they're seducing people into sin. They themselves, slaves of depravity, they live a shameful, immoral lifestyle often. They're backsliders who have left the faith and they are like wandering stars. The next thing I want to summarize is a number of declarations that Peter made throughout this second chapter of his letter concerning the judgment and the condemnation that awaits these false teachers. And I I cannot emphasize this enough. Because of the nature of their sin, they're not just sinners they are determined to seduce, deceive, and draw as many others as they can into their sin and thereby destroy their souls as well. We saw that they introduce destructive heresies. That's a very powerful word. It actually means bringing about eternal ruin to a person's life. So their operation within the church is to destroy other people's faith, destroy other people's lives. Because of that, the judgment and the condemnation that awaits them is very, very severe. And let me just list these by way of a summary. And we're not going to read all the verses, but you can look them up again if you want to go back. In verse 1, and all these references are from 2 Peter 2, in verse 1, Peter said they bring swift destruction on themselves. Swift destruction. In verse 3, 
He said their condemnation and destruction has long been hanging over them. Then, in a rather lengthy portion from verse 4 to 10, Peter dealt with three different cases in the Old Testament. Angels that sinned, the wicked world in Noah's day, and the perverse sinners in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he used all three of those examples to prove a point that God will judge, he will punish, and he will not spare. And the whole purpose for pointing to those three Old Testament examples was to reaffirm the fact that even though sometimes God's judgment for false leaders seems to delay, and they seem to be able to get away with a lot for a long time, he says, make no mistake, their judgment is not sleeping. It's hanging over them. Condemnation and destruction is hanging over them. In verse 12, Peter said, they are like brute beasts born only to be caught and destroyed. I think you're starting to get the picture. He keeps using this word destruction. And again, it's not just referring to sickness or physical death. It's referring to their eternal damnation, their eternal ruin and destruction that is promised to come upon them swiftly. In verse 13, Peter said they will be paid back with the harm for the harm they have done. Paid back with harm for all the harm they have caused other people. That's a frightening thing. Especially when you come to find out some of these false teachers and false leaders have influenced thousands, in some cases millions of followers. What a scary thought that all of the souls they have harmed, that harm will be heaped back upon them. In verse 14, Peter refers to them as, and I'm quoting, an accursed brood. An accursed brood. The very curse of God is upon them for what they are doing. In verse 17, he says, the blackest darkness is reserved for them. I, I don't know about you, but these, these are strong words, and they, they send shivers up and down my spine. It's one thing to know that darkness is reserved for you, but apparently there's a special place in hell. It's the blackest darkness of all darkness, and that's reserved for these people. In verse 20 of Second Peter, Peter said they will be worse off at their end than they were at their beginning. And we talked a lot about this last time. At their beginning, they were dead in sin, just like you and me. And that's not a very good condition to be in. But they're worse off than that. Worse off than even 
an unsaved person. And finally, in verse 21, he sums it all up this way, it would have been better for them to have never become Christians. And here again, uh, that's not saying a whole lot. Because we know what happens to a non-Christian if they don't get saved. They go to hell. And Peter says there's something worse than that reserved for these individuals. So, putting all that together, uh, very severe judgment, damnation, and condemnation is reserved especially for these false leaders, false teachers. Now, what I want to look at in some detail as we bring this second chapter to a close is what you and I need to do. And there's much written in the New Testament about this, and I'm going to try to keep it brief, but I also want to go into some detail here. And basically it is this. The church is responsible for being discerning. Let me repeat that. The church needs to be discerning. It is our responsibility to discern the difference between a true pastor and a false pastor, a true apostle and a false apostle, a true prophet and a false prophet. We can't just shirk the responsibility and say, well, they'll probably never come our way anyway, so we don't need to worry about this. Uh, That's not an option. If indeed there are going to be many false prophets, many false teachers, everywhere you go, then it is our responsibility as mature Christians to be able to discern. As I mentioned a little earlier, Jesus, Paul, Peter, James, John, and Jude all wrote extensively in the New Testament warning us that there would be not a few, many false prophets and teachers in the church and that because of that we need to be vigilant. The church needs to be discerning, the church needs to be vigilant. We need to be continually on guard, continually on the watch, continually looking out and using spiritual discernment. Now, let me come back to Matthew 7 that I've been referring to a lot tonight, and let me just read a couple of the verses here. Matthew 7, these are the words of Jesus, verses 15 and 16. Watch out. I'll stop right there. Watch out. Now we normally say words like that if your child or a friend is about to cross the highway and a bus is coming 50 miles an hour. Look out! Watch out! Well, those are the same words Jesus uses here to you and to me. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, 
inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. That's a promise. By their fruit you will recognize them. So we are to be able to discern. We are to be able to recognize false prophets and false teachers. And another portion of scripture that has had a great impact on my life for many years now is found in Acts chapter 20 verses 28 to 31. And it's important to get the context here. Paul was about to leave Ephesus and he gathered all the pastors, all the elders, all the shepherds from the churches in Ephesus together. And he knew this was the last time he was going to be seeing them. And he tells them that. And these are his final words to these spiritual leaders of the Ephesian church. From verse 28 to verse 31. Keep watch. Almost the same words Jesus used. Watch out. Be on your guard. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This makes it very clear, and you can check this out if you don't believe me. Look at the whole context in Acts 20. He's addressing pastors elders and overseers from the churches and this first verse we just read is very clear keep watch over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers so he's talking to those who have been given responsibility to look out for the church to watch out to be on guard for the church And the next phrase leaves us no doubt. He says, be shepherds. I think most of us realize shepherd and pastor are the same word. Be pastors. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Okay, that's all good. Verse 29. I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years... I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, that wouldn't be real popular in most of our churches today. We like a nice, positive, light, uplifting message. We don't like to hear negative things like this. And some might even criticize Paul and say, he he wasn't speaking faith. He should have been confessing faith here. He's speaking negative things. No, he's speaking reality. He's concurring with what Jesus 
had stated earlier, Jesus was speaking reality also. He said, watch out. These guys are coming. These ferocious wolves are coming. They'll come in sheep's clothing. Watch out for them. Keep watch over the flock, for after I leave, savage wolves, he doesn't say might come, savage wolves will come. And he actually mentions two sources of trouble here. Savage wolves will come in among you, those are outsiders coming in, and they will not spare the flock. And then he gives a second scenario in verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Wow. That's heavy stuff. He's having a pastor's meeting and he's saying, Hey guys, this will be my last meeting with you. By the way, some of you are going to become false leaders. Some of you are going to rise up and draw disciples after yourself. They will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. You know, one of the things that has made it quite easy for me to recognize and to distinguish between true leaders with a pastor's shepherd's heart and false leaders is to look at their motivation. These people are selfishly motivated. They draw people to themselves. They flatter people. They flatter themselves. They boast. They're arrogant. They try to gain a following and they try to get people to stick to them. A true leader points people to Jesus Christ. They don't try to draw, attract people to themselves. They're not interested in having a following, a fan club, and and all of that. They're continually about pointing people to the Savior. So, Paul says, keep watch, be on your guard. They may come in two ways. Outsiders may try to sneak in, and some of you may try to rise up from your own number. Men will arise. Men will rise up. They will lift themselves up distorting the truth in order to that's important to note this is their motivation to draw away disciples after them and ultimately what they often do is create a church split and they take members of the church with them they divide and take for themselves be on your guard The part about this passage that impressed me the most some years ago, and I've never been able to shake it, is these final words. Remember that for three years, not three Sundays, for three years, I never stopped warning 
each of you night and day with tears. You have to really think about that. What a burden this was in the Apostle's heart. How concerned he was about the church being destroyed through these false prophets, false teachers, false leaders. And I've shared several times throughout this study, and I make no apologies for it. I'm passionate about this because I've seen the ruin that these folks can bring to a church through divisions, through church splits, through greed and selfishness, and yes, even through gross sexual immorality and and all of these other things that we've been listing. The word that jumps out in both of these passages from Matthew 7 and from Acts 20 is we need to be on guard. Keep watch, look out, be on your guard, make sure you have both eyes open, both ears open, and you're looking around all the time because they will come. They'll come from outside and they will arise from within. We must have discernment to recognize and to judge the fruit of any Christian leader. And as we saw in the scriptures in Matthew 7, you can't judge them by their clothing. In other words, you can't go by just the outward appearance. They look like sheep. They come in sheep's clothing. And my experience is they know how to talk like a sheep. Everything about them looks like a sheep. But we must go beyond outward appearances. We're told in Isaiah 11 that Jesus didn't judge by the sight of his eyes or even by what he heard. That's usually how we judge things. What we see and what we hear. It says Jesus didn't judge that way. He judged righteous judgment. Well, what does that mean? I think it can only mean one thing. He judged by the Spirit. He didn't just judge by outward appearances. We may be swayed by outward appearances. They come in sheep's clothing. They have marvelous gifts. They make marvelous speeches. But inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. We need to be able to discern the inward motivations, the inward workings of these people. And that involves spiritual discernment. And I want to talk more about that a little later, uh, if we have time tonight. By no accident, one of the gifts of the Spirit that has been given to the church is just that very thing, the discerning of spirits. doesn't say discerning of appearances. Discerning of spirits. We need that gift in the churches in these last days, the ability to discern spirits. What is the spirit that is operating? What is the spirit that is being manifested here? We must be able to discern that. I want to read another 
powerful passage from James chapter 3 where it talks about two different kinds of fruit. We have to be able to recognize these two different kinds of fruit, particularly in Christian leadership and Christian ministry. James 3 from verse 11 all the way down to verse 18. He says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives? Notice he's talking about fruit. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Well, the answer is obviously no. Fig trees only bear figs. Grapevines only bear grapes. And that's a law that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Whatever kind of a tree you have, it produces a characteristic fruit after its kind. A fig tree can't bear olives. A grapevine can't bear figs. That's why we can recognize any tree by its fruit. He goes on to say, Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. Notice that, by his good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom, wisdom is in quotes here, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. James actually touches on a number of the same things we just listed from 2 Peter 2. Fruits of a false leader. Pride, envy, selfish ambition, disorder, and things like that, the opposite of which are humility, peacemaking, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. And I've listed a few questions. These are questions we should be asking about Christian leaders. And this is not an exhaustive list, but I think this gives you kind of a framework 
of how we should be exercising discernment with those that we believe God has placed over us to lead us, to teach us, to prophesy to us, to guide us. And again, this is all going back to what Jesus said, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Here are some questions to consider about any Christian leaders. Are they humble, submissive, respectful of God-ordained authority, or are they arrogant, boastful, self-willed, rebellious, and disrespectful of authority? I'll read that again. Are they humble, submissive, and respectful of God-ordained authority, or are they arrogant, boastful, self-willed, rebellious, and disrespectful of authority. There are lots of people who want to be in authority. Boy, they want to be boss. They want to have power. They want to be able to boss other people around. There's a problem. You can't have authority unless you're under it. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. You can't have authority if you're not under authority. And my experience is God enlarges your authority as you demonstrate the ability to submit to authority. And the inability to submit to authority is a very uh, strong evidence that you're not ready yet for leadership. A person who's continually rebelling against authority, disrespectful of authority, uh, slandering those who are in positions of leadership, it's a very obvious manifestation of the fact that they are not equipped, they are not ready for positions of leadership. Another question about any Christian leader. Are they disciplined, self-controlled, and demonstrating a spiritual attitude? Or... Are they carnal, fleshly, or even immoral in their lifestyle? Very simply, are they spiritual or are they carnal? A third question. Are they selfless, generous, always giving to others? Or are they greedy, always talking about money, and looking for ways to exploit others. Do they use their office and their gifts to, I'm going to use a slang word here, to mooch off of other people? Or are they looking for ways to give, to serve, to be generous and selfless? A fourth question. Jesus taught that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's very important. If you listen carefully to what people say, it gives you a window into their heart. Listen to their speech. Listen 
to what they talk about. You know, for some years I worked with a Christian leader that had a very large sphere of influence, um, had a great deal of power, authority, etc. But toward the end of the time that I worked with this man, I began to listen more and more carefully to his words. And I began to notice that in every single conversation, the conversation always centered around money. Very interesting. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There was very little conversation about the spiritual growth of the people in the ministry, how to advance uh, the kingdom of God, the cause of Christ, how to minister to the needs of people. It was always about the bottom line. It was about money. If you've never done it before, check it out. It works. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen to their speech. Is their speech positive? Uplifting? Is it edifying? Is it about the Word of God? Is it about the Kingdom of God? Is it centered around praising and worshiping God? Or is it centered around slander, gossip, grumbling, finding fault, criticizing, especially other leaders and people in authority, and speaking negatively? You know, as we find in the Gospels, whether we like it or not, our speech betrays us. <laughs> our speech reveals who we are. And finally, a test or a question that we should be asking about any Christian leader, prophet, teacher, etc. Is the fruit of their life and ministry peace? Are they peace-loving? Are they peacemakers? Or do they bring strife, division, disorder, and confusion wherever they go? That's a very important question. Is the fruit of their life peace? Or is it strife and division? Now I want to turn to a few scripture passages in the New Testament that highlight this very thing that we're talking about, the need for the church to be equipped and able to discern, to be able to test and distinguish between the true and the false. Remember, we just read a little while ago from Acts 20, Paul's final message to the leaders of the Ephesian church. By no accident, the Ephesian church is mentioned again in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus gave messages to the seven churches in Asia. And the very first one is to the angel or the messenger 
of the church in Ephesus. Very interesting. Listen to this. Revelation 2, verses 1 and 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Listen carefully to the next part. I know that you, you Ephesian leaders, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. There's a couple things about this scripture that I find fascinating. Number one, already by this time, and this was around 90 AD, maybe about uh, 45, 50 years after the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, note they already had false apostles trying to worm their way into churches, including the Ephesian churches. And apparently they paid good attention to Paul's warnings and exhortations. And they were practicing this in their churches. They were learning how to discern, to judge, and to recognize false leaders when they tried to creep into the church. Jesus says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. You have tested those who claim to be apostles. Claim to be apostles, but they are not. And you have found them false. The word here that's translated tested, you have tested those who claim to be apostles. It's a Greek word that means to test objectively, to scrutinize, to examine, to prove, or to try. King James translates it, you've tried them. It's almost like you put them on trial. You cross-examine them to find out if their claims were true. Well, This definitely makes one thing clear. Not everybody who claims to be an apostle is one. And my personal opinion, there are a lot of people running around nowadays claiming to be apostles. Be careful. They may not be. They need to be tested. The Amplified Translation is very good on this. Let me read it to you. Jesus says this, I know how you cannot tolerate wicked men and have tested and critically appraised those who call themselves apostles, special messengers of Christ, and yet they are not. And you have found them to be imposters and liars. The Message Bible translates it this way, I know that you can't stomach evil and that you weed out apostolic pretenders. 
So we must have this ability in our churches to test, to cross-examine, to scrutinize those who would come in claiming to be apostles, claiming to be prophets, claiming to be teachers, claiming to be pastors. They must be tested. Okay, on to another important scripture. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Notice that. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because, and here it is, many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. John actually uses a different Greek word here that is, again, translated test. Test the spirits. And it means to test, to approve, to allow to discern, to examine, to like, to prove, or to try. Putting all that together, what I think he's saying, if you listen carefully to your Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit within you, you'll get a sense of whether this is right or wrong, whether it is to be liked and allowed and approved of, or whether, sometimes we use the term, we feel a check in our spirit. Even though everything looks good on the outside, something inside is sounding an alarm. It's saying, this isn't right. We need to learn to pay attention to that little alarm that's going off inside. The Message Bible reads this way, My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in the world. And I would add, on TV and on radio. Okay? Don't believe everything you hear carefully weigh and examine what people are telling you. Now, I mentioned a little earlier, in 1 Corinthians 12, no need to go there, you can look at it for yourselves, there's a list of the gifts of the Spirit, one of which is the discerning or distinguishing of spirits. We're going to come across that same word, discerning or distinguishing, two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 14. And feel free to look up 
the reference in chapter 12 on your own. It's verse 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 10. But I want to move along here to chapter 14, because Paul has a lot to say in chapter 14 about church order and what goes on in our church gatherings or our church services. We need to have discernment in our church services. And listen carefully to what he says, starting with verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together? He's talking about when the saints meet together. Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Verse 29 is the verse I want us to really examine. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Weigh carefully what is said. We'll come back to that. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. The word that is translated here, weigh carefully, is actually the same Greek word that is used in chapter 12, verse 10, for the discerning or the distinguishing of spirits. It's the Greek word diakrino, which means to separate thoroughly, to oppose, to discriminate, to decide, to hesitate, to contend, to differ with, to discern, to doubt, judge, be partial, waver, or stagger. Notice a lot of those words or meanings are negative. To oppose, to hesitate, to differ with, to doubt, to stagger, to waver. What it what it tells me is this whole concept of discernment is wait a minute. Let's pause here for a minute. Let's study carefully what we've just heard. Let's weigh carefully what just happened here. Let's not just race through this. Let's judge this. Let's discern whether or not this is truly from God. I don't have the time tonight, but I could tell you some bizarre stories of church meetings I've been in where really 
wacky things were going on. Wacky prophecies were coming forth. Strange revelations were being voiced that were way, way, way off from the scriptures. Those are instances where we need this gift of discernment. And Peter gave us the ultimate and the most comprehensive test of all for all prophecy, for all utterances, for all revelations, visions, dreams, for all ministry. He said we must always compare it with the more sure word of prophecy, which is the scriptures. The ultimate final test of everything that goes down in a church must be the Word of God. And that's why one of my favorite scriptures is found in Isaiah 8.20, and I'm quoting it from the New King James. It says, To the law and to the testimony. In other words, let's refer to the scriptures, to the written word, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. We must know the scriptures so that we can judge these things accurately and clearly. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, it speaks about the Berean Christians, that they were more noble even than the Thessalonians. Now the Thessalonians have two epistles written to them, the Bereans have no epistles, but they were more noble for one reason. Listen to it. The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message, that's from Paul, by the way, they received the message with great eagerness, and then they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Man, they were even checking Paul out. They were listening to his messages, then they were going home, getting their Bibles out, and checking everything Paul was teaching them. Examining the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Examining the scriptures to see if they supported what he said. You and I need to develop that habit. I don't care whether you're listening to Pastor Wayne or Pastor Quasey or Billy Graham or Joel Osteen on the television. You better examine every word that is being spoken. Check it out in your Bible to see if, and I'm quoting from the message translation, examining the scriptures to see if they support what he said. And finally, to bring this to a close, one last scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 to 21. Paul writes the following, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. We don't throw out all prophecy. We don't throw out all prophets and all apostles and all pastors. There are true apostles, true prophets. There's true prophecy. 
Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but, here it is again, test everything. Test everything, and then hold on to the good. This word test is the same word that John used in 1 John 4.1, where he talked about testing the spirits. Test everything. Test the words. Test what you hear. Test what you see. Test it with the Word of God. And test it with the Spirit of God within you to see if the Holy Spirit bears witness. We should strive for a balance. Don't quench the Spirit, as some churches have done. They've just shut off all prophecy. They don't want to mess with it anymore, so they've banned all prophecy. That's quenching the Spirit. But we should always strive to maintain divine order. Discerning everything that we hear, checking it out with the Scriptures. So, finishing up 2 Peter 2, he gives a lengthy, detailed description of the character and the destructive activities of false teachers in the church. And I would urge you to compare that with Jude that confirms and even adds to a lot of the things that Second Peter says. We should refer to these scriptures regularly to refresh our minds of what these characters look like and how to recognize them. Peter warns any and all false leaders of God's certain, swift, and severe condemnation, punishment, and destruction for them if they do not repent and get out of that lifestyle. This is a very sober portion of Scripture, and it's written to alert us so that we will do just what Jesus, Peter, James and John all told us to do. Be on your guard. Look out. Watch out. We should make every effort to be on our guard. Looking out. Expecting these pseudo-leaders at one time or another to come across our path because the Bible promises there will be many of them. Let's pray tonight for Christian leaders. Let's pray that God would raise up true apostles, true prophets, true pastors and teachers and evangelists, full of the Holy Spirit, teaching and preaching the Word of God accurately so that the Kingdom of God can be established, so that the true church can arise, and that the church would be able to recognize any false leaders, false teachers, false prophets or apostles that might try to sneak in. Father, we thank you tonight for the Word of God. We thank you, O God, for stirring us up and alerting us once again that we need to be on our guard. We need watchmen on the walls who are continually, day and night, listening and watching and, and paying close attention to the warnings of the Holy Spirit that will alert us to these wolves who come in sheep's clothing. God, give us pastors and shepherds after your own heart.
shepherds who will not feed themselves, but who will feed the flock, who will care for the sheep, selflessly laying down their lives for the sheep. Raise up more true leaders in these last days to lead us and guide us in the right direction. Father, I pray for a stirring of all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church, especially this gift of discerning spirits, distinguishing of spirits, that we may sound the alarm when your Holy Spirit alerts us to something that isn't right, that we will be able to recognize the fruits of true and false leaders and make that discernment. God, I pray for each and every one on this phone line, each and every one listening through the internet, or those who may listen through the recording at a later date. God, give us true and accurate discernment based on the Holy Scriptures and based on your Holy Spirit. And God, we trust in the promise that you made to us that you will lead us and guide us into all truth. Deliver us from every form of deception. Help us to recognize immediately any kind of false teaching and any kind of a false spirit that would try to seduce us or lead us astray. Lead us and guide us into all truth. We pray in Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and Amen.